Merry Christmas, Stone Creek. Man, I just love Christmas. Anybody love Christmas? Love lots of things about Christmas. So much fun at Christmas. You know, I love Christmas food. I love Christmas songs. Maybe the ones you sang, notwithstanding, I'm not sure about those, but uh, love Christmas lights. Man, I love Christmas. I love, anybody got family with you for Christmas? Like, that's pretty weak. That's pretty weak. Some of you have this motto, you know, you know that Christmas is the time to spend with someone you love, and if you can't find them, family will do. Is that your motto? Family. I mean, I love family. You know, I'm at that stage where I've got one married, so he's doing the rotation thing. So he's with us at Thanksgiving, and he's in Michigan right now with his wife's family. Uh, but my favorite ones, the ones I like, are actually at home. So uh, you're welcome right there. So, but man, love family. Love gifts. Anybody love Christmas gifts? Like it's, Christmas is about nothing if not about gifts. Like I love gifts. It doesn't matter what kind of gift it is. If it's short, tall, big or small, I love them all. Like that's my motto. Love Christmas gifts. Love so much about Christmas, but man, the Christmas story. Man, just love the Christmas story. I hope it never gets old, um, even as I do. I hope that it never gets old. I love telling it. I love celebrating it. I love remembering it. I love thinking about how it's changed my life and transformed so many people that I know. Um, And it, it is... Such a wonderful time of year to be able to think about and remember and recenter and reordinate around the Christmas story. You know, for most of us, we have we learned the Christmas story probably um, the story of the wise men. It's kind of shaped our our understanding and our picture and our image of what happened at Christmas. You know, that whole nativity scene thing. And it's in Matthew, actually, uh, the book of Matthew, chapter two, is where we find this particular story. And it says this: It says, "Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the King. Some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was greatly troubled along with all of Jerusalem. So he assembled the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he inquired of them exactly where the child, the Christ, was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, that you, O Bethlehem of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler, a king, and he will shepherd my people Israel. And and Herod secretly summoned the wise men, and he ascertained from them exactly when the star had appeared And he sent them on their way saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to Herod, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. And it came to rest over the place where the child was. And they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the home, they found the baby. And they found Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Like this is the story that has captured our imaginations when it comes to the nativity scene. It's what we think about. It's what we see. Many of us maybe even send out Christmas cards. Some of us have nativity scenes in our homes. Anybody have a nativity scene in your home? You have it on the mantle maybe, or you have it on a bedside table. You know, I have one that came from my grandfather and it's ceramic. And so we put it out every year and it's a lot of trouble. And, you know, even, we still put it out even though the cow's ear's broken off and baby Jesus' left arm is gone. <laughs> it's just that important. It's such a picture of the image that we have of Christmas. But, but what an unconventional way for a king to come into the world. Am I right? 
What an unconventional way, what an unexpected way for a king to come. Because usually when a king comes, they come with trumpets blaring and a military parade and fanfare and lots of pomp and circumstance. But he comes in humility. You know, uh, three years ago when Prince George was born, Prince is William and Kate's son. Some of you are, follow the royals very closely. You know what I'm talking about. And you watched them all get married, didn't you? Um, and we know that when he was born, so much was uh, done to announce his birth. There was a coin that was uh, minted by the royal mint to commemorate his birth. There was a 21-gun salute over the capitals of the UK and New Zealand and Canada and Bermuda as well. Westminster Abbey, the bells rang as well as every other church throughout the United Kingdom. You know, and, and lights were put on, lights, blue lights were lit in every uh, major historical uh, location throughout the kingdom just to commemorate his birth. And that's usually the way kings come into the world. When Alexander the Great was born, his dad built a city called Alexandria. And he built it facing the rising sun. So that every time a citizen were to walk out their front door and to experience the sunrise, they would be reminded of who the king was. That's usually how it comes. But what about our king? He came a little bit differently. Why did he do that? He wanted to communicate something. There was something in his birth, something in that nativity scene, something about coming as a baby to a small remote town in the outskirts of the Roman Empire. He came to communicate that he is the king of grace. He's the king of grace. And man, what you need to know tonight, that, that Jesus is a king clothed in grace. And he's also the king who will come again clothed in glory. He's a king who will come again clothed in glory. Man, man I love this idea of grace. I mean, that Jesus just steps into our everyday ordinary. He steps into the classroom and the boardroom. He steps into the bedroom and the hospital room. And he steps into every arena of our life. And that's one reason he came as a child was to communicate to us that he wanted to get his hands dirty, that he didn't want us to feel, to feel like he was way up there, but he was in close. And that he came for us. And he came to all people, man, in all walks of life. And this is the king that we serve, man. This is the grace that we get. Anybody, anybody grateful for grace in here today? Come on. Anybody just love grace? I think about grace, and I think about you know, some of the components of it that, that, that really have changed my life. Man, I think about forgiveness. Man, isn't it great to be forgiven? Anybody done anything they needed to be forgiven of last year? Four of us, all right. <laughs> Man, I love the fact that we can look, you can look back over your past, and God doesn't hold it against us, that God wants to forgive us. And it could be for you that there are some things that need, you need forgiveness for. It could have been a lie that you told or a relationship that you destroyed in your anger and selfishness. It could be a corner that you cut at work. It could be an addiction that you stepped into for the first time, and it's wrapped its tentacles around your neck. And grace, the strength of grace, can help free you from that. Man, I love the idea that grace brings forgiveness. Man, man I love the idea that his grace and the way he showed up is an invitation to a new life. You know, you know he, kings generally come and they want to impose their will. They want to just impose their will. And, 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 and most of us, we don't like it when people do that, do we? We tend to resist just a little bit. We tend to, we tend to shrug off anybody who tries to put a chain on us. So they tell us to drive 55, we drive 56. They say, this is the express line, 10 items only, and we get 11 and dare anybody to say anything. Man, we, we like to be invited not to be imposed on. We, we like to be invited to different places. 
You know, there is probably something that happened over the holidays, maybe with family or maybe with friends, and you didn't get invited, and you were upset, even though you wouldn't have gone if you'd have gotten invited. We like to be invited. And what, what, the, what the manger scene shows us, what, what the nativity shows us, is this king of grace has invited us into a new life. Man, I, I'm grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful that, man, that grace is just a gift. It's just a gift. I mean, I've already established how much I love gifts. I mean, it's just a gift. It's a gift of understanding that you have purpose and value, that you were created for a reason to help God do something in the world. And what a great dignity that gift is for us. Man, the king of grace has given us this gift of purpose and reconciliation. He stepped down into our world to help us see the gift that is the life that he offers. Man, I love, I love grace. You know, there's a story, there was a movie that came out this last year, Toy Story 4. Any Toy Story fans in the house saw that? Man, love Toy Story. You know, when, when the first one came out a long time ago, uh, my kids were really small, and even uh, my youngest, who was uh, just a kid, you know, a toddler at the time, of course now he's at college, we still have a Toy Story sleeping bag that he took to college with him. Um, not really, but we still have it. Man, we had Woody and we had Buzz to infinity and beyond. And, and the little army men, we would place those all over the house. And I still do that, even though not all of them will be home except the ones that I like, right? Um, we still have that. It just, we love the movie. So when Toy Story 4 came out, we took our staff to see it. And, and the story goes a little bit like this. You know, Bonnie is the little girl who's in, um, who's in the movie. And, you know, she's going to kindergarten for the first time. And she's a little upset about that, you know. And she's a little uncertain. She's a little insecure, not so knowing how she's going to fit in. And I can so totally relate to that. Because when I was going into kindergarten, my mom had taken me and my sister to go live with her parents for a time period. There's a lot of uncertainty and unsettledness at our house. House. And, and so when my mom would take me to school, I would, I would pitch a fit. I would scream and cry. I would hold on to the door while she dragged me in. I had no shame whatsoever. And so I can relate a little bit to Bonnie's uncertainty and discomfort at going to, going to kindergarten. And, you know, while she's there, if you've seen the movie, you know that Woody is trying to help her. And he, he kind of positions things to where she, she finds a spork and she turns it into a toy called Forky. You remember this? We have a picture of Forky. And Forky just kept thinking he was trash. He's just a dirty old spork. And sporks are literally useless, by the way. Have you noticed that? If you try to eat soup with them, you stab yourself in the gums. And then if you try to eat anything else, you don't pick them up. But, man, she created this toy out of it. And because he believed he was trash, he kept trying to find his way back into the trash can. And Woody kept having to rescue him. And he would say, I'm trash. I've got to get to the trash can. And Woody would rescue him until finally he realized they wasn't trash. And sometimes we can feel like we've been discarded. We can feel like we're trash. And we can feel like we don't have a future. We can feel like God's promises aren't for us. We can feel like we've missed out, that we're defective. And the message of grace is that you're not trash. And you're not a toy either. And you're created by God with value and worth. Could it be, could it be that there's a king who is this good? Could it be that there's a king who is so full of grace that everywhere he goes, he leads grace? Could it be that there's a king that every step that he takes, he leaves a footprint of grace? Every word that he speaks, he speaks a word of grace. Every action that he takes is an action of grace that he is so full of grace it just pours out all over us. Like this is the message of Christmas, man, that we have a king of grace to rescue us. Now, now one, of the, one of the downsides to the nativity scene, 
to focusing so much on the baby being born is that we just, in, in our minds, have this very peaceful, serene, calm situation in front of us. That we imagine Mary just kind of kneeling by the, by the uh, manger and that Joseph is pensively looking down at his child like, what have I gotten myself into? And that there's a shepherd holding a sheep just kind of looking at the baby Jesus as if any mom would let a sheep get that close to her child. And, and then that there's the wise man just there with gifts. And in our thinking, we actually leave Jesus in the manger and he never grows up. He never steps into our life with any type of power or authority. It's what I like to call the Ricky Bobby view of Jesus. You know who I'm talking about? How many have seen Talladega Nights? Sinners, you should repent. <laughs> Forgiveness is available. I've only seen this one scene that I'm about to describe. It's Thanksgiving, and they're having this feast of Domino's and Taco Bell and Doritos and Mountain Dew chip. And so, and Ricky Bobby's going to give grace. And Ricky Bobby, what does he do? Dear baby Jesus, dear eight ounce, eight pound, six ounce, all cuddly in your golden fleece diapers. And he just has this image of Jesus as a baby. And sometimes that can happen for us, that we just have this idea that Jesus came as a baby, he died and resurrected, and that's it, you know, and we're going to go on with our life, and he's powerless in our life. Let me just explain a little bit to you about, the, about something that's different about Christmas. How many, how many of you have heard the word Advent? Maybe an Advent wreath, an Advent calendar, Advent candles? Now, the way that we see it in our culture in current modern day is that Advent is kind of the four Sundays before Christmas. You have a candle that you light, some different readings that you do. And so it has to do, everything has to do with uh, the first Christmas. And the word Advent literally means arrival. That's what it means. It means arrival. Somebody arrived. When that word was created, when the first Christians began to use it, when it, when it burst onto the scene, it wasn't used for the nativity and for Jesus' birthday. That's not the arrival that it pointed to. That's not what they talked about. What they talked about was the second arrival, the second coming, the second Christmas. The promise of the future of a king who was coming to take his children home and to claim his throne and his crown. This was, this was how they viewed the advent. And that's a different way of looking at it. And if we're not careful, what will happen is the lullaby of the manger scene will lull us to sleep. And we will miss the encounter with the miracle of a majestic king who's coming to restore his creation. Let me, let, me just, let me just read for you what that looks like in the second Christmas, another a different Christmas story over in the book of Revelation. We see um, uh, John is the guy who wrote this. John was a close follower of Jesus. And, and John wrote this, just the image that he saw about the future that was coming. He says, I saw heaven opened and a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. The armies of heaven are arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, and they were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of lords. Now, I'm advocating that we all send out that Christmas card next year. <laughs> that that's the picture. That's the nativity scene that we put up. 
Because this is the image of the second coming, of the second Christmas, of what the king of glory looks like when he comes back. And most of us, we don't have space in our mind for that. We don't think about that, that he came not just to forgive us of sin in a sacrificial way, but he came so that we could have life in the future. You know, the first time he came in a trough, the next time he's coming to sit on a throne. First time he came in obscurity, the next time he's coming in majesty. The first time he came as an infant, the next time he's coming as an imposing presence. The first time he came in silence, the next time he is coming in honor. You know, the first time he came as the the lamb of God, as a sacrifice for our sins, the next time he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah to judge the nations. Like, this is the king that we serve. You know, glory just means absolute power. He is the king of absolute power power, that everything is under his hand, under his control, and he will one day make everything right. You know, now we think we have a lot of power, if we're honest, and we do. You know, you could pull out your phone right now, and you could probably turn the lights on at your house. You could start your car. Um, You could uh, change the channel on your television. You could see what the weather is. You could uh, send a message around the world. Um, You could watch TV like some of you are doing right now. We we, we think that we have power. Did you ever walk outside in the morning and say sunrise? Man, did you ever ever come walk out at night and say stars move? Man, did you ever stand at the edge of the ocean down there at seaside and say stop right here? This is the power of God. God is orchestrating Everything for his glory. My blood is pulsing through my veins as is yours because God wills it and wants it. The Bible says that everything moves through him. Everything was created by him for his glory. This This is the power that we have in God. Now listen, if everything, if everything was created by him and for him, if everything is created by him and for him, here's what it means for us. It means everything will be measured according to him. He is the measuring stick, the measuring line. Everything will be assessed based on him. There will be a day of reckoning. You know, when it says in the passage that he judges, there is a judgment that comes, and it's something that none of us really need to be afraid of because we get to prepare for it. Have you noticed that when you know there's a reckoning, an assessment, a measuring, you get ready for it. You're prepared for it. You know, how many times that when you went to school and you went to high school and you would have a test every Friday or whatever and you would, you know, you'd prepare and you'd study or some of us would. Um, but, but how many times would you go into class and the teacher would say, hey, get out a piece of paper and a pencil and the whole class groaned. Why? Pop test. Wasn't ready for that. Wasn't prepared for that. When you know that something's coming, a test, a measurement, a judgment, you get ready for it. When they keep score in a ball game, you practice hard and you put a game plan together and you get ready. You know, when I, um, before I was in ministry, I was an actuary and one of the things that we did is we took these tests and it took a lot of time to study and they kind of gave you a rule of thumb that for every hour of an exam, you would study 100 hours. That's one with two zeros after it. And so if you took a three-hour exam, there was 300 hours of study. You knew how to prepare. Now, I always studied 400 because I'm not as smart as everybody else. But I wanted to be ready. And when we know there's a measurement coming, listen, we prepare. And the measurement that we'll all face is who did we make king? Who is the king of our life? Who did we or what did we follow? Like this is the measurement that we see that the second Christmas is going to bring us. You know, the promises of tomorrow should drive the priorities for today. The promises of tomorrow 
of God's tomorrow should drive our priorities for today. You know, we spend about six weeks getting ready for Christmas, the first Christmas every year. And we spend a lifetime getting ready for the second one. We'll be measured. You know, God's people, the nation of Israel, they, they didn't, they, they, God wanted to be their king. He, wanted, he had it set up so that he was going to be their king. He was going to rule over them. But you know what happened? They looked around at the other nations that were surrounding them, and they all had earthly kings who had crowns and sat on the throne. And they thought, we want what they have, even though they had it so good. And if we're honest, we do the same thing. Man, we look around at our neighbors. We look on our social media feed. Man, we look at um, what someone says is success. We look at our bank accounts, and we make them king. And the problem is that king has no ability to deliver. That king cannot provide what we want. So the second Christmas is the promise that a king of glory is coming. And he's going to measure us, but we don't have to be afraid. Because of God's grace, he gave us the way. And because of his glory, he gives us the ability to get through. God's grace gives us an invitation to get in, get in the journey. But his glory is his power. The fact that he rules and reigns over everything, it helps us know that we can we can get through. You know, one of the things that's going to happen when the king of glory comes back, I'll, this is my favorite part of the Bible. It's my favorite part. It's what I think about. It's my favorite part when we worship and we sing words about this. It's God is going to make all things new. All things new. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, it says, He who was seated on the throne, clearly that's Jesus. He said, Behold, I am making all things new. Like, what, what, what do you need that's new? What could God restore that's been stolen? Man, what could God heal that's been broken? Man, what could God revive that's died? Man, God is going to make all things new. In, in the book of Isaiah, we read a passage where Isaiah just gives us a little snapshot, a glimpse, where he's trying to paint the picture of what this would look like. And he says this, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Our pain, our regret, our sin, our shame, our tragedy won't, won't even come to mind, Isaiah says. He says, well, we'll be glad and rejoice forever in that which God creates. For behold, God says, I'm creating Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but just a few days, and an old man who doesn't fill out his days. They shall build houses and inhabit them and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. Behold, they will, they call, they will call and I'll answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear and will come to rescue them. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together the lions shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And God promises that all things will be made new, that our brokenness will be made new. Like, what, what is it that you'd look forward to when things are made new? What would you anticipate? And what would, you just, what would just capture your heart and your attention so much that you, it would just bring joy to you? Man, I just think about what we'll experience, man. I think about the people that we'll get to see, that we don't get to see now. 
Man, I think about getting to see my dad, that his glory will be restored and everything that held him back will be released. Man, I think about some of the children that I've uh, uh, officiated their funerals, that I'll get to see them and be reunited with them and see them reunited with their families and the new life that they'll get. Man, and that creation will be completely renewed that there will be no more earthquakes and wars and volcanoes erupting, that it will function exactly the way God has designed it to function. And, but I'm selfish when it comes to being made new. Man, my heart will be whole. and It will be healed. And so will yours. And this is the promise of the King of glory. But you have to follow him. You have to make him king. And we all want something new. That's not unique to me. But new habits, they're not going to give you a new life as much as you need new habits. New Year's resolutions, new goals, a new job's not going to give you a new life. And a new house isn't going to give you a new life. If you want a new life, you need a new king. If you want a new life, you need a new king. A king who's clothed in grace. And a king who's clothed in glory. When he returns. Now, how do you get a new king? Simple. One word. You follow. You follow. And what the Bible teaches is that grace makes it so simple. Is that the invitation is for us just to follow the king of glory. And, and, and glory is what God's motivation is. Do you need to follow the king of glory? Do you need a new king? Let's pray together. So just with our eyes closed, heads bowed, just kind of taking a moment out of the, the chaos of the season, just to be still and know that he is God, that he's a great and good king. It could be that that's what you need today, that you've never really decided. As you looked at your last year, man, there's so much else that has been king of your life, and it's caused anxiety and worry and stress and pressure, sadness, depression, and you know you need a new king. And so you just need to follow the king of glory and the king of grace. The way you do that is just in your own heart. It's just to pray and say, God, I need a new king. And I would love for you, if, if you know you need a new king tonight, and just to get you into the next year, I'd love to lead you in that prayer. Just as a moment of victory for you. And you would, just in your, own, your, in your own heart, just repeat after me. Dear God, I want you to be king. I'll follow Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins, rose from the dead, and is coming back in glory. You know, the Bible says that when you do that, God's king. And guess what you have? You have new life. But so we can make it beyond this moment, what I'd love to do is just to help you take this new king beyond this room. So just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to do something that's going to take a little bit of courage. I'm just going to ask you in just a minute, I'm going to count to three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand, just signifying this, a symbol of victory to follow your new king. Nothing dramatic, just a simple raise of your hand when I count to three. One, two, three. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You got a new king. You got a new king. Hey, let's just, let's just celebrate those. They raise their hand. That's amazing. 
God, we're in a room full of people that we have a lot of baggage and we have a lot of pain that happens to us. We need some grace today. We have a lot of victories too and we're grateful and we have a lot of joy because it's Christmas. Um, but God, we know that there's no way a new habit, a new job, or raising a candle is going to give us a new life. We've got to have a new king. And so that tonight, God, will be just that time when we solidify that in our hearts and we recognize. And for those who are still figuring it out, and God, well, for whatever reason, and they weren't, just weren't convinced, God, you just continue to work in their heart. Lord, I pray that tonight as we've worshiped, God, as I've, as I've talked, as we've, as we've opened your words, that they will bring life to people tonight and not return void. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.